Hello, and welcome to The Body Protest. In this podcast, we combine storytelling with science to better understand how we think, feel, and relate to our bodies. I'm Nadia Craddock, and I'm a body image researcher. And I'm Honey Ross, writer and activist. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. Hello, my sweet angel Nadia. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I am recovering from a cold, but, you know, I'm definitely on the up, which is promising, but obviously a cold is suboptimal <laughs> in these times. No, it's, yeah, not not the one right now, not, not what you need. No, but, you know, no cough, no temperature, so, you know, we're, we're all good, we're all good. It's, yeah, it's like we're COVID-free, and what more can we ask for right now? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> battling through. The minute I can drink coffee again, I know that I'm, like, fully restored and healed. <laughs> it's so miserable when, like, you're ill. The only thing that would make you feel better is a, like, hit of caffeine, and you can't even really do that. You know what I mean? I know. Oh. The, the coffee is not... I know when I'm ill, like, I can't drink coffee, and the smell of it turns me. No. Um, so it's a, it's a good, it's how my body reacts. I don't know. don't know what to say about it. But how are you doing? I am okay. I have been uh, existing. I've just been existing and uh, trying to get my work done uh, and not cry. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I know, but existing, but I think, that good. Is, what, is what we are all doing. You know, it's what we are all it's doing. It's what we're aiming for. And, yeah. and it's to be celebrated also. You know, you've done it. You've done another... Another week got got I through, know. but you know what's been nice is I've really like I got a bit flat last mm-hmm. week. I was a bit like, oh, this is getting a bit heavy, and then just was like, I'm gonna really channel a lot of energy into um looking after myself. So I've been having a lot of like very nice salty baths and mm. baking a lot of cookies and like lovely dinners. And I'm like, okay, focusing on myself, looking after myself. That's we move forward with that. Yeah, lovely, very um very wholesome and yeah I think yeah it's always when you're feeling a bit down to double down on those self-care activities always a good shout speaking of which this episode itself was a self-care activity so today we speak to the amazing Grace Campbell she's a comedian and author with her debut book Amazing Disgrace that has just come out um so everyone should go check that out we'll put it in the show notes and of course, she's a fellow podcaster from the Pink Protest family. So, you know, lovely to have a family member on the show, basically. <laughs> Always. We talk a lot about body shame, about sex, about finding humour in the, the darker moments. It's a really wholesome, gorgeous episode and we hope you enjoy. So let's hear from Grace. We have a very, very exciting guest today, a close personal friend, my dearest Grace Campbell. Grace, thank you for joining us. Welcome to The Body Protest. Thank you for having me. You have your book, Amazing Disgrace, is literally out tomorrow. How are you feeling? I am feeling pretty calm, to be honest, because I've done a lot of mental preparation for this moment. So you know when you just put in so much work to make sure you don't have a breakdown this week so I feel because I've had so many mini kind of moments in the last few months fearing this day Mm. now I'm here it's like oh okay it's going to be quite anticlimactic anyway what was some of the prep you did because obviously you share a lot I've had the pleasure of reading the book already and I love it I haven't actually messaged you about it but I love it because I'm a snake I haven't messaged you such a bitch but uh, I (laughs) I wanted to save it for the save it for the record 
but you know you obviously share quite a lot of vulnerable very personal stuff in the book how have you mentally prepped yourself for that well I think first of all actually physically writing it was the prep because Mm. I was writing it imagining it was going to be read that day basically so every day I'd write a thing that was like incredibly deep or traumatic and and the book is actually very funny like that's why I wanted to write it but it does cover topics that will make people feel you know feelings whether or not that be that it confronts things about things about themselves or it can trigger things in them it you know there is stuff in it that is quite personal so when I was writing it I was more doing that work then because I was like well everything I'm writing I have to really think do I want people to read this like am I sure I'm going to be okay in a few months imagining that however many people buy this book will be reading this stuff about me so I kind of everything passed that test then and then especially the particular bad or like hard chapters they're like two chapters that I found hard to write I just had to really go slow with myself I had to get my boyfriend at the time to leave the flat and not be there even though we were in lockdown so that I could just be completely on my own and not like stressing him out and making his life as bad as like it felt like mine was then so I yeah at the time went through a lot of that and because it feels I've finished it like three months ago now I've kind of sort of detached from what was actually in the book in a way that makes in a way it's like how people say they forget how painful childbirth is you know what I mean of like the the birthing of the book is probably the real hard work and then once it's over you're like oh that was all yes totally if I totally while we're on the book, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Okay. What we can so, expect? So, Amazing Disgrace. She's just here. I know this is a podcast, but you guys can see her. She's beautiful, just like me. She's, she's got a stunning... She's holding up the she, cover. She's embossed. She's, she's, a, she's on a cloud-shaped dick on the cover. It is me. <laughs> um, it's a book about shame. Shame in quotation marks. It's a sort of funny book about me um, and my relationship with shame and things that I don't think I should be ashamed of. So, from... The, my obsessive fear of my parents dying, my mental health, um, my relationship with sex, masturbation, fear of rejection, jealousy. You know, each chapter covers a different type of shame that I don't feel belongs in any of us, really. But I feel... Because basically they're all things that I feel we shouldn't feel ashamed of encompassing because the world today makes us, A, very dependent on our parents, be terrified of rejection because rejection is we're taught to think is failure when actually it shouldn't be so it's kind of attacking all of those different things that young women in particular are taught to feel ashamed of and why I don't feel we should anymore and then I think it is also just quite funny and um I'm an oversharer so everything in it is like to the top level we're all oversharers and I love that for us in the book I think you do a very one of my favorite skills which is being able to go from something very funny to very sad in very very small amount of time and I think that's very powerful it's such a beautiful way to write because it feels very real it's life there's such an authenticity yeah yeah it's life exactly the line of comedy and tragedy is a very fine one and you you know you walk that line and I love that <laughs> sorry you're not a tragedy no but, like, but you, it you know, is you... that's life in life you can be having a great time and then suddenly an hour later be like catastrophically your mind will be blown with a piece of information that can just completely put you into disrepute even and then at the same time like really tragic things in life can be funny mm-hmm. it's just life yeah totally 
So I really so, appreciate you for saying that, hun, because that's kind of what I was trying to do. Well, you you done did it. Thanks, baby. I'm very proud. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, and it also just like phenomenal to to write a book. That's such a big thing, and for it to be personal and to share your experiences with the world as well is a very generous thing to do because I think it does help people I think people relate to those things and shame such a powerful emotion I think everyone can relate to the feelings of shame the source of that shame may be different but that real like overwhelming sense of shame I think everyone can relate to and I think there's a a real link to to shame and bodies we talk about body shame a lot on this podcast and how we relate to that and I wonder if that's been a theme that's ever come up yeah I mean without a doubt because first of all shame stores in your body physically so one of the things I do talk about in the book is sexual trauma and the impact that had on my physical body it was like I was completely ashamed of my physical being because I felt that my body had been attacked and had been ruined in a way and and something had been stripped from it that, that I felt wasn't in my control. So there's that, first of all. And then secondly, um, through, you know, like so many women throughout my teenage years, I just had such a fucked up relationship with my body. Whenever I got rejected, I would attack my body, whether it be in starving myself or like over exercising or or just like binge eating so eating too much then punishing myself telling myself that I'd eaten too much then not eating for five days or the worst case of overdosing on drugs because I was so I just had no attachment to my physical body basically when I was a young woman well I still am young but you know what I mean like when I was younger because I I had to to survive I detached from my body So I didn't give it the respect that it deserved because I didn't see it as part of my being. And that's why I I now, having done so much work on myself, I'm in such a good place where I'm like, whatever my body is feeling, I have to respond to it. And like, it's so not about the way it looks. It's about the way it's like speaking to me, which sounds so bullshit, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I really feel, yeah. And that's why I don't care, like, about anything else it's just about how I feel in my body and the fact that we are connected again basically after so many years of being like separate and being my mind and my body were like two separate beings I always say this over and over again in the book it's one of the metaphors I use and then suddenly actually when I got with my now sadly ex-boyfriend but when I got with him and and he together we really changed like my relationship with sex and then it was like I came back together so I hope that makes sense. It's kind of confusing no, no, as no. a concept. It, it really does. And without being too like the dry academic on the, on the, in the conversation, but it, it completely aligns with feminist theory on objectification, right? Like we objectify our bodies like through processes of being viewed as an object, being harassed, all of those kind of demeaning experiences as a woman we then start viewing ourselves through the male gaze. We start objectifying ourselves. We disassociate ourselves. So we start seeing ourselves as an object. We then are constantly monitoring ourselves. That then, as the theory holds, leads to body shame. And then from that, we see disordered eating behaviours. We see a poor relationship with sex and we see low mood. And that's been tried and tested, that that theory, that pathway, over and over again with lots of different groups. And it holds. So... 
it it makes complete sense what you're saying. You're onto something, basically, <laughs> scientifically. <Yeah. laughs> but, then, but then, but then it's working out how you come out of that, how you come out of that trap, because we're conditioned as women to 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 do that, to see ourselves like that, to see ourselves as something separate, something to be looked at constantly. Well, I think like one of the things is I don't think you ever completely do. It's like any trauma, you get better at managing it. And and the sort of the ways that it impacts you physically become like fewer and further between. I've had this problem where I'll be like, I'm fine and everything's better now. And my relationship, my body's better. And I like all of this stuff, sex, everything's better now. And then I'll have a day where it all comes back. And then I'm like, oh my God, I've made zero progress. And actually that's not really the way to approach it because you do, you will always have moments where if your mental health is bad or your insecurities like are flaring up, those feelings will return. It doesn't mean they're permanent. They've just come back a bit like symptoms of a cold and then they will go again. It doesn't mean you've gone back to like 10 years ago. So I think there's a, that, that's something that I really like, have to practice in my mind is like, if I have a really bad day, it doesn't mean it's me again, like where I was when I was 19 years old. It just means I'm having a really bad day, but I have made so much progress. It's, yeah, it's so important to remember healing's not linear and the work that you've done on yourself in the past doesn't go away. The foundations you lay for yourself when you're moving forward from trauma, those foundations stay in place even when you have a terrible day and you wake up and it doesn't feel like they're there. They are there. And it, yeah, it doesn't negate all of the work you've done when you when you have a kind of, I mean, I don't want to say relapse, but when you have a kind of moment where you're triggered and you go back to that headspace, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the work. And I feel like you are such a good example of someone who has done, you've done the work. I think when when we were becoming friends, I remember being like, we're on the same page with this. If we are two women who are like, we are going to therapy, we are trying to actively improve our happiness. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm never going to be a perfect human being. I think that's the thing that I really like talk about in the book. It's like, I ne- we're, we're always learning. We're always changing. We're, do you know what I mean? Like, there's no end goal. It's very, no, it's ongoing. I think it has to be an ongoing journey because it's like, we're constantly changing. So how could kind of the internal state not be? You talked a bit about your relationship with your body growing up just now, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about like specifically because obviously we share the fact that we both grew up in the public eye did you feel like that affected the way you saw yourself um uh not so much with like my physical body that made me want to be a a boy Mm, a lot that's interesting it may it made me want to not be a girl like for most of my childhood I didn't want to be a girl why do you think that was well I think two things I had older brothers and I felt that they were sort of handling what we were going through as children. So, like, we were in the public eye and my dad was in politics and we had a lot of media attention for, like, my first 10 years of life. A lot of protesters outside our house and it was, like, really intense and I just felt jealous of the way that my brothers handled it. And then at the same time, I was really... um I grew up around so many powerful men in politics that I used to think the only way I could be powerful, which is all I wanted mm-hmm. to be when I was a child, is if I am a man... 
So that's what I associated power with. And, and I looked at my dad and I was like, I have to be just like my dad. Like, I just wanted to be like my dad. So it wasn't so much that I like wanted to look like a man, but I wanted to have the, I want, I was a nine year old who wanted to be as powerful as like the prime minister. And I thought the only way you can do that is aspire to be like a man, basically. So that's, that was one thing. And then the second thing was that my mum is physically so much smaller than me. And when I was like 14 years old, I was already like so much bigger than her, so much taller than her. I had these double J breasts that came overnight when I was 14 years old. And me and my mum used to go shopping and like this, all of our most outrageous fights were in shopping changing rooms because I'd always be like, can you get me an eight or a 10? And she'd bring it and then I'd break it because I didn't fit it. But I was like, but I want to be your size because you're my mum. Like, I need to be the same. Why are you not bigger than me? Like, this doesn't make sense. We used to have these crazy fights and my mum used to always have to pay for, like, jeans that I'd broken the zips on. No! <laughs> yeah, because I had such a confused... Um, and I, Yeah, I think it's so confusing when your your body suddenly changes shape and you suddenly have these tits that no one in my family had ever had before that like people just stared at all the time but not in a nice way it was just like they felt like a spectacle so again I felt really ashamed of my body through all of those years but I I think you know you have then taken this kind of relationship with your boobs I really think about this a lot of how what you know now obviously you do stand-up comedy and you, you know, I think you made a get joke. <laughs> you you love to get your tits out, which I love, and you own them. But do you think finding, you know, going into comedy helped you find your voice and like ch- almost channel that kind of? You get that masculine power. We've talked about that before mm. on the podcast with the the hotter girls of kind of how performance in air quotes is masculine, even though it's not. I think you know it's how we've been taught to do that. But do you think? That's how you satiate that. Yeah, I think so. But definitely, and there is a sort of big dick energy thing about being on stage and having a microphone and having all of these people that have come to see you and laughing at you and, you know, listening to you. There is something that makes your clit hard about that. But then also, I do think I wouldn't wear the outfits that I wear on stage at my own shows. I would never wear them down the street or, like, at a random comedy night that I'm doing which I'm the only woman on the lineup for because at my shows it's my space in that like I feel safe I feel I'm not going to be getting the kind of judgment and projections of other people's shame that I would be if I was walking along the street in some of the outfits that I wear on stage so I think yeah there is that distinction and that's what's really nice about creating that space of your your own comedy like club but also a bit of a shame that I still feel some of the outfits I've worn like on stage at my own shows, I would feel so uncomfortable wearing like in the general public. Just because you'll be looked at. Yeah, because that... people would objectify like it's particularly mm. I've done shows where basically my whole tits are out. If I if I like went okay, on the tube okay. in that top, it'd be awful. And it's, uh, you know, I don't want to project, but I definitely find and I know you're similar to me in the sense of, you know, you love to express yourself through an outfit. But there's something about having then when you overcome trauma and you've worked really hard to get your body back and expressing yourself through an outfit is such a good way to do that. 
And then the minute you step outside, it's like it's destroyed because it's like it's no longer yours again. You're having to exactly. share that part of yourself with the world mm. and you don't have control over the reaction. And you're like, no, I didn't do this for you. I just wanted to put on this frock to make myself feel sparkly. It's exactly that. It's exactly that feeling that it gets taken away from you when someone else uh, visually assaults you, you know, with the way that they're looking at you. Mm. That, yeah. like, control yeah. that you've spent years trying to get just suddenly is gone. And that's why I like doing it in my own controlled spaces. Yeah, but that and that's kind of just to circle it back that is that visual assault that's what then leads to you then looking at yourself that way because you you become conditioned to think like that and that's what then brings it back to body shame yeah totally when I'm mentally in such a bad way all I do is attack my body I'll look in the mirror and just attack every element of my body and like even today on this zoom call I just can't even believe how bad my skin looks and I, I I'm so upset about it and I'm trying I'm like practice what you preach Grace you're here on a podcast like talking about all of this stuff but you know even you, it's so hard to sometimes be completely like that if other things are going wrong in our lives or upset about something else or feeling anxious if there's any kind of negative emotion it's so common for us to then project that onto our bodies and it's actually like if my skin was better if I was a size smaller if this if that if whatever things will be better I wouldn't feel this bad I wouldn't feel this anxious I wouldn't feel this embarrassed to be um and there is something that we're kind of naturally inclined to go onto our body and be like, our body's a problem rather than anything else. But also, I mean, I think we're taught that. So, for example, like, when I was younger, I I was like, okay, I've got to do anything to get a boyfriend. So I decided the reason I wasn't getting a boyfriend in sixth form was because I wasn't skinny enough. So then I went on this crazy diet, lost all of this weight, and then I still wasn't happy and I still didn't get a boyfriend. But you're sort of told, you're sold these pipe dreams of like, once my skin gets better or once I get my boobs lifted or you know what I mean? Any kind of thing that we're sold. Yeah, you're kind of... um... A lot of people have that idea of if I lose X amount or if I get a partner or if I do this, like, you know, yeah, the problem will go away. And it's like, no, the pro- I'm sorry, but like the problem's right in front of you is you. Like, it's like the fact is like you we all have to be accountable for the fact that we are the common factor in whatever our situation is often. So it's like, you know, it's all about turning inward and being like, OK, let's see if we can figure out how to be happy on our ones before we deal with, you know the other stuff it's exactly it is exactly that and I do think that you know it's so easy to blame other things in your life not you know what I mean like to say oh it's because I don't have a boyfriend or it's because I hate my job and it's like well actually I think you know I have a, a someone who's really close to me who had this one thing of plastic surgery that they wanted to get and they were convinced once they got it they would be happy because their mental health was so bad before. And I kept saying, I'm just worried you're going to do this and you're still going to be feeling the same way because it's not it's not about your physical body. It's about where your head's at. And then it happened. And then, you know, obviously it's not like you have an operation and then you wake up and you're like, I'm fine now. Yay. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. yeah I mean, changing your body in any way is not going to solve any kind of psychological no. issue right like it's it's not but I think all of these things it's like yes and because I think exactly as you're saying Grace like we are sold all of these ideas 
of how we should be, what we should do, what we should look like, how we should feel all the time. So we have to acknowledge all of those societal pressures and and then work out how we can be resilient and look after ourselves at the same time. So I don't think it's like you have to put all the onus on yourself when you're like surrounded and bombarded by things. And I think the minute people start recognising that you're sold these ideas and it's really just capitalism and industry being like yeah and patriarchy absolutely being like you need to change your body and then you'll be happy you need to change your body and then you'll be successful you need to change your body and then you will be desirable and loved and dot 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 everything will fall into place and I think the minute you start realizing and seeing that for what it is I think people can start setting themselves free from some of those I completely agree I think that's why it's so important to talk about and kind of and also make light of these situations because it's almost comical that we're told that as teenage girls if you lose x amount of weight you're going to get a boyfriend it's like no because most teenage boys are fucking twats don't get a boyfriend also, yeah, right now because like, they're I all want shit a boyfriend you know what yeah I mean? and like, exactly bisexual, like how why dare am you? i told <laughs> why am i told that that's gonna cure yeah. all of my life's problems it's gonna make everything worse well, also, like, like, I, you know, I wish they told us that truly and i think there is a one though i mean i'm sure there are some good ones out there but like you know i think it is interesting if of you course. are sold that pattern and then i mean for a lot of people i know for me i then tried to do that and it was horrible you know what I mean I think most people have that experience of like we really should be shifting the focus of figure out the relationship with yourself first before you even consider maybe attempting a relationship I don't know if it's that's wild for me to say that but I do really feel that way no I I think that and this is why I have this whole chapter in the book and it's called I put the mad in mademoiselle and it's basically (laughs) a whole chapter about how it's my relationship with rejection because rejection ultimately nobody ever enjoys rejection right it's not a fun experience like in whatever (laughs) form in a job, in friendships, in relationships, in sex. It's never fun. However, my relationship with rejection was so bad that every time it happened, I was like, it must have been something about me, something physically about me, something mentally about me. I must change this thing about myself because that's why I was rejected. And it's that thing of... It's almost so self-involved to think that mm. in a way that we're, we're sort of taught to be because actually, again, probably all of those people who were rejecting me weren't psychologically ready to be with someone like me weren't enough for me were intimidated by me but you never think that at the time you think oh it's definitely like I'm shit I must change that thing about me more often than not it's got absolutely nothing to do with you and the sooner people can realize that the sooner they can start living you know what I mean of like the minute you realize totally like no slight on you it's like oh oh that's I was worried about that like it's so it's chill chill vibes out here guys (laughs) <laughs> it is it is completely i think that's honestly like that that's where i just hope teenage girls especially now know that a bit more i mean it's so hard when you're young to really know that it's not you and it's yeah. it's so hard like i feel so sorry for younger me who used to literally like the first time i got rejected i was like 13 years old i got stood up on a date and 13? i was yeah by this boy on msn i'll kill him who oh <laughs> My whole teenage years, it was like rejection, 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 over and over again. And I was like, oh my God, like, uh, it just made me want to stop trying. And then you you get into your 20s and then it changes because, like I said, teenage boys are honestly useless (laughs) and 
they just can't handle people like us. That's just a fact. It's just it's too much. They can't handle all of this. But then it changes. <laughs> no, exactly. They can't. Not this girl on a cloud-shaped dick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! I, I I love how you bring comedy into into everything, and and as you say, see the comic moments in all of these feelings and emotions that we all have. And there's something that I always remember that you have said, and I can't remember now if this is from one of your stories or from your show that you did. But the the idea of intrusive thoughts, and you're like, oh, ding, <laughs> that's yeah. an intrusive thought, and just being able to name that and recognize it, and kind of then also seeing the humor in it, and being like my god like i'm thinking this like mad intrusive thought but you know we don't have to listen to that and move no, on. no feelings really... aren't facts yeah that's my mantra it's also just so liberating and i think you do this you know i think it's this is kind of your mission statement almost of like putting the most shameful thing saying it out loud the minute you say that out loud it has no power over you and it's so lovely that you do that. And like sharing intrusive thoughts is fucking hard to do because the whole point of them is that they feel dark and kind of evil and weird. And you're like, oh mm. my God, am I evil? Because I've thought that. And it's like, no, that's not you. It's the intrusive thought. And I think you were one of the first people that I could talk to about intrusive thoughts, honestly. And like, I'm so grateful to you for that. And I think it's so special that you're giving that to other people. Well, I think honestly, like I really think they're so normal. And the more I've spoken to people about intrusive thoughts, the more they realise they're like, oh, I get that. I thought that was, like, just me being a psycho. But I get that, where, like, you know, you'll be on a... There's so, they, there's so many different, like, like levels throw a of baby, them, but If you're handed a baby, throw it across the room. If you're holding a knife, throw you'll it, drop it Yeah, on if you're on a train platform, you'll push jump someone in front, in front yeah. of the train. Yeah. Classic. It's just um, so fun being here. I love this ride. Yeah, so, <laughs> this world. <laughs> Woo! Let's go again. <laughs> But it's like so, because then you you be like, okay, I remember the first time I got in proper, like, I used to have intrusive thoughts as a kid, but I remember when I was living in Paris when I was 19, when I had a proper, like, nervous breakdown, and I was having coffee with this girl, and I was just imagining throwing my piping hot coffee in her face, and I was like, what, why am I doing this, should I do it, like, my mind's telling me to do it, but I'm obviously not going to do it, but then all I was thinking about was, like, how, like, I was holding this cup of coffee, like, and my hand was shaking, so I was like... Like, my mind is so convincingly telling me to throw this coffee in her face. And if I could have only just said then, God, I'm having the craziest thoughts of throwing coffee in your face, then I would have felt better. But she probably wouldn't have. She, it, Yeah, I think there are certain situations where maybe it wouldn't have made her. It does, it's, like, yeah. it's like you freed her by saying the truth. Yeah, I definitely used to have um, a next best friend, no longer gone. But we used to walk down the Camden Canals together and every time I was on the canals with him, I'd be like, I'm going to throw you in the canals. Not because I wanted to, just because that's where my brain went. And it's like, it's exhausting navigating that. Oh my God. It's fucking exhausting. And you know what? I'll tell you one thing. Medication. Oh. Medication, medication, medication. Medication has helped medication. my intrusive thoughts. Me- honestly, that should be the new catchphrase. <laughs> that has really been the thing. Before I went on medication my intrusive thoughts were wild like I was convinced everyone was trying to get with my boyfriend <laughs> like Sorry, everyone in the world even my mum he was very handsome and I'm sure people would yeah. have been like it's yes. awful that you felt but like that I know even my mum I was even like your my mum fancies him yeah <laughs> 
even when my mum spoke to him, I was like, what is she fucking like, doing? Fiona. Go back to my dad. What are yeah. you trying at? Grow You've up. You've got a man. Grow up. You're 63, Fiona. Grow up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, medication. Yeah, medication changes everything. Um <laughs> I would love if we could talk a bit about your vulva and your relationship with your... Do you want me to show you it? Uh, I mean, as if I haven't seen it already. Come on. (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk a bit about the way you challenge, I think specifically, a lot of shame that women hold around their genitals. I think you, you... I mean, there's obviously a lot on it in the book, but I want you to just say your piece on it because it's so good. So... I basically, um, I think that's where a lot of my shame was held. And by the way, just apologies, but I still say vagina because old habits die hard. To be cl- yeah, so I to like be clear, vagina yeah. is the tube, vulva is the yeah. whole, the whole I, I know, I know that. I know the difference. I, I, just, I know you know. No, that I'm, was that was for the listeners. Yeah. Just yes, to be clear. For the lovely listeners, you should be saying vulva. But I am like Mary Whitehouse, essentially. I can't let go of the past. Um, So I will continue to say vagina just because it's like what I've always called her. Anyways. um, It's her nickname. That's exactly like her official name is Valve. (laughs) I was so ashamed of my vagina and I there was so much shame about like things it did you know like I think first of all we have these periods that suddenly come and you're told that they're disgusting and you shouldn't talk about them then you have like weird discharge that no one talks to you about and no one no one talks about when you're a teenager and nobody talks about the discharge giving birth I really didn't know what was happening or dying. Or dying. I was like I'm dying like I was somewhere in between coming out of my vagina. Yeah. Yeah. Not fun. So there's all of that. And then you start thinking about... Oh, and then obviously masturbation, which happens for some. I know me and Honey, we were early bloomers. (laughs) Like, we started wanking, (laughs) you know, when we were still watching Arthur the Aardvark on TV. I I used to fancy Arthur so much. Sonic the Hedgehog for me, personally. Yeah. So that's amazing. That's shameful because no one tells you about that. So there's all of this stuff that no one really talks about to you. And then you start having sex and then still things go wrong. Like you fanny fart and there's all of these weird things that happen. Um, You get too wet. You don't get wet enough. You know, whatever it is. Textures. It's all happening. Everything. You're angry at your vagina for so much of your like time. And basically like my big lesson, which I talk about in the book, was I went to see this doctor when I um I used to fanny fart loads because I do yoga, no big deal. Don't be intimidated by me. I love yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be intimidated. <laughs> and I'm just an everyday person. I just get on the mat once a day. Um, so <laughs> so basically, I um was fanny farting loads, which had started at yoga, but I was starting to do it in sex like a crazy amount. Like whenever I change a position, it would be like. <laughs> Like for that long, and Honey knows I can fanny fart on demand. Yeah, don't you, my family knows. It. My dad still brings it up. Oh my dad's like, "How is Grace? Is she still fanny farting on demand?" <laughs> <laughs> the first time Grace met my dad was in. I was sharing an office with my dad and Grace had come for a coffee and Grace was showing me and she was on the floor with her legs in the air going like, look. And then my dad came in and was like, what the fuck are you two doing? <laughs> oh my God. That's brilliant. 
Yeah, oh but God. so I went to see this doctor and I was like, I've got cancer of my vagina. I'm finally fine. <laughs> Something's happening. I'm dying. She was like, for fuck's sake. She was clearly so sick of girls our age going to see doctors because of something that was completely normal, yeah. but because unfortunately we weren't taught about this. She was like, go home and just spend a long time looking at your vagina. So I went home and I looked my vagina in the eye for probably like an hour and I just completely fell in love with it. Like, I'm not even joking. I was like, how have I been so rude to this thing that does so much for me and has been with me? It's part of me, but I've been hating on it my entire yeah. life. Like since I had my first wank when I was seven. And ever since then, I just feel like I have to treat that part of my body with such respect and, like, just obsession. Because once you do that, you then project that feeling, you know? Like, it's that once you love your vagina, it doesn't really matter what anyone else says. But then, as a result, people will love it more because you don't project these feelings of shame onto them. Well, I think we've definitely had this conversation around masturbation before. I mean, we've spoken in our time more about masturbation than anyone cared to hear us do. But I will I will go on <laughs> another round about it. But yes. I think with, you know, we it's such a shame that this is something that is meant to be nice. This is meant to be a healing, good thing. I mean chemically if you masturbate before bed you're more likely to have a good night's sleep there are so many health benefits to masturbation it's good for your mental health your physical health everything and we are not teaching people this like we should be teaching girls that it's like get to know your body get to know your vagina your vulva the works and then also because it's like once you do that then you will if you want to be able to go into partnered sex and your experience will be so much nicer because you know your body and you respect your body and you understand your body and how it works. That is the thing. Like, and the, all of, like, if you have that relationship with yourself sexually, first of all, it doesn't even matter because, like, in terms of you don't need to have sex then because you can really, like, have that relationship with yourself. But secondly, when you do have sex, you know how to make yourself come. And I, all yeah. of the people in my life who have issues with, like, orgasming, women, I mean, they have never developed that relationship with themselves. Like, they have never had that. And it's, you know, I'm not saying you have to start wanking at seven like I did, but I'm because that did leave me with a lot of shame for a long time. But I am glad that I did sort of do it in my teenage years because eventually I got the confidence in sex to then be like, oh, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Let me show you. Well, right, because I think I was expecting someone to be able to kind of like turn up and show me how the, you know, how the car worked. And it's like, they don't yeah. know. They don't drive it. They don't drive the car every it's day. It's my car. It's my car. You know, so anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, without a doubt. That's why we've got to wank. And it's so important and, and how it links back to shame as well. And how, if we just contrast to how we hear constantly about men wanking, that's like a very normalised thing. And I remember being, I mean, I was a late teenager, but we were t I was with a group of boys and they were all talking about it. And I remember just saying, oh yeah, girls can have a good time too. And they were all like, whoa. I love you for saying that. And, um, and then it just became like, and then there were a couple of other girls with me and they just went like flush red. They were older than me, went flush red and then like abandoned me from the conversation. <gasps> But that is amazing <laughs> that you that you even because I would be way too scared to have said that when I was a teenager because I was convinced I was the only person in the world that yeah. did it. Uh, well, because I remember as well any time it would come up in groups, 
the way we were taught about it in sex education was they described the clitoris as a pleasure button. And that was all that was said on it. She just went, the clitoris is the pleasure button. Imagine if you just Pope, pressed well, it on. I was kind of like, come. I don't understand. Like, I was like, yeah, like, try switching it back on. Um, yeah. But, no. But just quickly on that, I think I used to say things for a reaction. I love so that. So I don't think I would, yeah, I would say things for a reaction. So I don't even think I masturbated at that time even i don't know i can't i can't quite remember but but i think i was saying it more for a reaction than anything else but you knew about it you knew that it was happening across the board good for you you've always Mm. been fighting the good fight (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's what i want my kids to be like talking about wanking when they're in primary school my kids are gonna come in and I'm going to get letters. I know I'm going to get, like, calls from other parents. <laughs> My like, kids are going to get excluded all the time. Yeah, they're going to get excluded all the time. I can't wait. And then I'll just get to hang out with them more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Grace, you said about yoga, but what have you been doing through lockdown to kind of feel good in your body? Has yoga been your main thing? Yoga. Yeah, I did yoga every single day in lockdown. And then also me and my... Oh, it feels really weird saying, calling my ex. Me and my boyfriend at the time, my live-in lover, we were just having... We had sex every single day. It was amazing. Wow. I had so much sex in lockdown. You are the only yeah. person in the fucking world. What? I mean, no, that's not true. But, like, <laughs> you're the only day. person on this Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. It was a really I good bet. time. Um, that's lovely and then what else I mean to be honest I didn't feel great about my body because I had to say goodbye to my acrylic nails mm. like the thing you know I wasn't getting my hair done um, I the things that like make me like my nails really make me feel so good about myself and they're like I look at them even if I'm feeling shit and then feel better so it wasn't the best time um, but yo- yoga the only thing really that I did how long have you um, been doing yoga for since I got anxiety so when I was 19 so when I started mm-hmm. doing yoga and it's really my 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 lifeline it really is I just like the only time I'm not anxious is when I'm physically in the moment doing yoga every other moment of the day anxious low level but you know what I mean yeah, yeah. it's the only time that I calm down for like an hour that's amazing. I've always struggled to get into yoga because I, it's you have to calm down to allow yourself mm. to do it. And sometimes I can't do it. I mean, I'll go through like periods where I really can't do it because I'm just not in that place. But I try and work back to getting to that place because it's such a good um, sign of where I am mentally. Like when I don't want to do yoga, it means I'm really not in a good mm. place. Yeah, and there's like lots of lots of researchers that are very interested in the impact of yoga on body image and going back to the idea of the connection between your body and your mind. Um, exactly. Really and also the practice of yoga is not to alter mm-hmm. the shape of your body. It's, you know, when you practice it properly, like with proper mm-hmm. teachers, like they don't give a shit about that. They give a shit about your breath mm-hmm. and, and whether or not you are really connecting with your body and whether or not you're really listening to your body. And it was doing yoga that made me let go of this thing of like, I have to be doing exercise just to burn calories. It was like, yeah doing yoga just made me feel so like at one with my body yeah getting that getting that connection feeling in your body right yeah yeah amazing also you're disgustingly good at it you can do handstands (laughs) i try yeah i do try i love to show off you know me i know i love you are you're a proper wait are you a leo 
No, I'm a Taurus. Oh, of course you're a Taurus. Sorry, what am I talking about? I'm chatting absolute nonsense. Classic Taurus. Classic Taurus. You are Queen Taurus. Very Taurian, yeah. Grace, will you tell us where we can find you? Thank you so much for joining us. Disgrace Campbell on Insta. And then if you would like to buy my book, it's called Amazing Disgrace. And it's on all book selling shops. Obviously the evil Amazon, but you know, you can get it on next day delivery, Waterstone, then loads of independent bookshops. So if you want to Google it or just go on my Instagram, I've got all of the links there. And also are you doing more of the podcast yes so i'm doing a podcast to go with my book at the moment which is amazing disgrace the voice notes where i answer people's dilemmas and then after that me and my assistant my father (laughs) alistair campbell we will be coming back with our podcast he's so angry at the moment because he's like you have ditched me for your solo career and i was like yes because i need to focus on my solo career for a bit but we'll be back together he's like the book is yoko you know what i mean yeah even though i think that's very sexist and yoko was just living but anyway not that but yeah for the sake of the joke (laughs) for the sake of the joke he the book is yoko the book's taking me away from the podcast Oh my goodness. Love it. Love it. Um, Jador. I feel like Jador. I have to say that. Yeah, to Jador. Sign off. Jador. Um, Thank you so much, baby. Jador. Jador. Thank you so much, Grace. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Body Protest Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. It would mean the world to us if you could subscribe, rate and review. You can follow Honey on Instagram at honeykinney. And you can follow Nadia at nadia.craddock. This podcast is edited by the angels at Project Harness, Daisy and Rasheen. And brought to you by the Pink Protest Podcast Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.